Hello everyone, this is a recording of a sermon that uh, we had a technical issue with and I've had some requests that it would be uh, made into a podcast form so that folks can um, remember uh, some of what I taught on that Sunday, which was February 4th, but uh, the sermon title was Becoming a Great Commission Church. And so I kind of want to just walk us through the passage of Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20, what we've historically referred to as the Great Commission passage at the end of Matthew's Gospel. So I uh, talked to us at Aration Church about being still a newish church plant. We're only two years in, and that we really need constant reminders of how the New Testament defines and describes the church and what our primary calling looks like. It looks like making disciples according to Jesus. So church planting in the New Testament, when you read through the book of Acts, it's not the cause of anything, but it's the effect of something. It's the effect of people carrying out the Great Commission, going out and proclaiming uh, the word and making disciples. Uh, Eckhart Schnabel, who's a Pauline scholar, says, the oral proclamation of the gospel is the central action of missionary work the oral proclamation of the gospel. So churches, they are never uh, just established and planted and all the volunteers gathered together to run their ministries and then they hope to uh, make disciples. It's the other way around. It's that people are out making disciples and those uh, people who are coming to know the Lord and follow Jesus are starting to gather together and they start gathering together consistently. They, they become church plants. So we often get that backwards in uh, our day when we look at uh, church planting. If you read through the book of Acts, there's a ton of reference where it says, and then the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And then a great number of the priests began to believe on the Lord. And then they went out and preached the gospel and many people believed in the message and so forth. That is, uh, that is how early church planting was done through the oral proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you... Uh, uh, if you have not wrestled with this question in your church, you should. And the question is this, if we were no longer allowed to have a Sunday service together in a building, what would our church look like? What would our church look like? That's a challenging question for, for many of us. But if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 17. It tells us that um, this is after the resurrection of Jesus and he had gathered uh, his disciples, he told them to go uh, to a mountain and they gathered there. And it says that in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. So that's the only appropriate response when you see that the son of God has been raised from the dead and completed his mission is to, is, uh, is to worship him. He is now reigning victoriously um, over sin and death. And so everything that Jesus had begun to teach is now coming to its fullness um, through his resurrection and his accomplished uh, work. R.T. France says, the almost imperceptible mustard seed is now about to grow into a mighty tree. The kingdom of heaven is to be established over all the earth. But then Matthew gives us this detail about some of the disciples and he says, but some doubted. And the word means hesitant. They were hesitant. They were reluctant. They were kind of a little bit withdrawn from the experience with Jesus. And it's an important detail because what it tells us is that there was probably some sense of awkwardness and fear in the disciples seeing the risen Jesus because the last time that they were with him, they fled and abandoned him. And so they were probably like, what kind of reception is he going to give us? Like, we prob he probably needs to scold us. And so there was a little bit of hesitance in the way that they approached him. Um, now, look at verse 18. It tells us, 
Then Jesus came to them and said, I'm reading out of the NIV. Um, if you read a more literal translation, it will say something like, uh, Jesus came to them and spoke to them and said, and it seems redundant in the English, but there is a point to there being three verbs there, and there is in the Greek. There are three verbs there. He came to, he spoke to, and he said. And the choice of the three verbs, it not only emphasizes the importance of what Jesus is about to say, but um, the detail that he came to them is very important because it's showing us that Jesus responded to the disciples' hesitation and fear by drawing near to reassure them of his love and his acceptance of them. Wow! Isn't that amazing? Um, that is such an interesting little detail in the text that Jesus moved towards them when they were hesitant and afraid. And so Jesus begins to speak to them. And even in his speaking to them and conversing with him, there's a restoration of a broken relationship. They had fled him. They had abandoned him. He even told them that they would. And yet now they're being restored and commissioned out into the world. So believer, you who struggle, you who struggle in your brokenness, you who struggle with faithfully serving God to the, the fullness of what you should be, take heart. The Lord draws near to you to commission you out into the world despite your lack in your shortcomings. And we should take great comfort in that. Um, it reminds me of when Jesus first met, uh, when Peter first met Jesus and Jesus miraculously brought all the fish into his net and Peter realized that there was something heavenly about this man and he fell um, before him and he said, go away from me uh, for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus responds to Peter in that moment and he says, do not be afraid for I will teach you to fish for people. And so Jesus takes us in our brokenness, especially when we are aware of our sinfulness and we're confessing it before him that we're unworthy. Jesus says, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. I'm taking care of that. And I'm going to send you out to gather more into my family, into my kingdom. So trusting the love that Jesus has for you personally is fundamental to becoming a confident disciple maker. Trusting the love that Jesus has for you personally and all of your flawed brokenness is fundamental to becoming a confident disciple maker. Jesus is not looking for skilled, experienced leaders. He's looking for average people who know they're sinful and broken, but who trust in his ability to work in them and through them and, and have the desire to obey him out of love. That's what Jesus is looking for. And when we're afraid to share Jesus with others, invite people into spiritual conversations or pray with people, we're signaling that we are still needing to get our affirmation, security, and sense of self from other people's opinion rather than Jesus' love. That's brokenness. That's an issue. That's a stronghold in many, many Christians' lives. They have the fear of man because they're still seeking to get their affirmation and security from man instead of getting it from Jesus and believing that they already have all of that in Jesus's majestic love. Now, something that is important here because Jesus is going to go on and say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if you have your Bible in front of you, I want you to turn over to Daniel chapter 7. And I want us to look at uh, verses 13 and 14. Daniel, hundreds of years, of course, lived hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked the earth. And this prophet, Daniel, had a vision. And he says this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus, in his resurrection glory, in his resurrected body, is, a, is, is, is fulfilling this vision that Daniel had hundreds of years ago. What has happened in the heavenly places is that the Ancient of Days, that's God, the Father, if you will, he's, the Son of Man is presented before him, and to him is given all dominion and glory in a kingdom, dominion over all the earth, all of the world, all of the cosmos. And Jesus is making a reference to this and saying, this has happened. I am now seated in all of my heavenly kingdom, divinity, glory, and power, and reigning over the world. So all power and authority has been given to me. He's taken the authority away from Satan. He has taken the dominion away from the devil and is now commissioning his church, his disciples to go out in his authority and make disciples and save people from sin and death. So Jesus establishes his cosmic authority and dominion as the grounds for successful disciple making. And too often, we Christians shy away from disciple making because we believe that it has to do more with a skill set than with the sovereign and present reign of Jesus in and through us. Friends, his authority means my authorization. Jesus' authority means my authorization to make disciples. You see, to make a disciple, you don't need qualification. You need authorization. And you have it. You have it. So go and make disciples because you are authorized by Jesus himself to do so. And he stands behind you in your efforts to reach people with the truth. Verse 19, Jesus says, Therefore, therefore, Meaning, okay, I'm ruling and reigning over every square inch of the world now and over your life and those I connect you with to bring to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Friends, the gospel is not, our instructions are not, get people to say a prayer so that they go to heaven when they die. The gospel instruction, commission that we have is to go and make disciples. The word disciple means learner. It means becoming a follower and learner of Jesus' way, his manner of life, becoming his apprentice, staying close to him and living like he lived. And we are to go and to help people do that. You see, God's primary purpose in our time is to populate his realm of glory with sons and daughters who share in his eternal union of love. And discipleship is the means unto that end. And you and I are given that commission to be God's instruments to reach people. Now, I want to do a quick English lesson about the phrase, make disciples. So, make disciples, Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey. And there's, so there's a whole bunch of verbs there. But make disciples is actually the only imperative verb or command in that whole list. All the other verbs, including go, teach, all those are participles, right? And a participle, if you remember, is formed from a verb, but it's used as an adjective. So it's like Jesus, if you would literalize this, he's saying, as you're going, he's assuming that you will be, as you're going, Make disciples as you're going and baptizing them. You're going to be baptizing them as you make disciples and you're going to be teaching them. Uh, and so, so make disciples is a command and going, baptizing, and teaching is assumed to be a part of the process for those who are obedient to the command. 
If you are a disciple maker, you're not just getting people to say a prayer, winning souls as some people call it. You are going, sent out into the world. You are baptizing people into the name of God and you are teaching them to obey Jesus. You are living life before them and modeling for them and instructing them on how to follow Jesus' commands, to live an abundant life, to live an obedient life out of love for Jesus. So I want to say something brief about each of these uh, verbs. Uh, first, let's start with go. You, you don't, this does not mean that you have to be a street preacher. It does not mean that you have to have a megaphone on the corner uh, preaching and shouting at people. But there must be an effort on your part to reach out, to step out to people. You have to go to them, right? It assumes that we will not just live our Christian life in a pew or in a chair in a church. We have to go to people. You might have to walk up the driveway to greet your neighbor and start a conversation with them. You might have to walk across a coffee shop to introduce yourself to someone who the Holy Spirit's drawing your attention to. You might need to go and join a book club at Barnes & Noble to get to know some unbelievers and develop relationships with them. You might need to call an acquaintance and offer to buy them lunch and tell them you want to hear their story. These are things, these are all examples of going, right? Or it could be inviting a less developed follower of Jesus into a weekly time of Bible study and accountability to help them grow as a disciple. You know, there's a research study that showed that people who shared the gospel once, they kind of broke through that threshold of fear and they shared it once, they were highly likely to do so more and more because of the joy that they experience in doing it the first time. But if you never do it a first time, you'll never know that joy. Uh, we had uh, a, a gentleman in our church who was not the type to open his mouth and speak the gospel and share. He says, I'm a guy who doesn't have a way with words. I, I struggle sometimes in communication. And yet, just recently, he was in a conversation with a coworker, felt prompted by the Lord in that moment to just open his mouth and speak, shared the gospel, offered to pray with the guy. That man who he shared with now is, uh, is in recovery. He's leaving his life of sin behind. He has been baptized into the faith and is now learning to be a follower of Jesus. That's because one person opened their mouth. He, 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 he followed the command to go. Okay. So the next one is baptizing. We're to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, it's become a tradition to teach people um, in some traditions for a long time before allowing them to have baptism. And that, that grew, uh, that came in the early centuries of the church. But Matthew, and I think the rest of the New Testament, envisions baptism as an initiation rite. It's the beginning of the journey for people, um, not the destination. And so... Uh, I think we should be quick to baptize people. We should teach them the faith, of course, but we should be quick to baptize them, help them understand what it is they're signing up for, who it is they're giving their allegiance to, but we should be quick to baptize people. Now, when Jesus uh, says, in the name of, that means something. In the ancient Near Eastern world in which Jesus lived, the name of someone uh, was often equated with their essence or their, their being. So God's name is equated with his essence and being. So when we baptize people into God's name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is like saying, baptize them into our very life. Baptize them into the, the, the life of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism, the command to baptize uh, or to be baptized is a relational reality. It's about a relationship that you're entering into. You're coming into the very essence and heart of the very being of God and having union, loving union with him. That is amazing. And baptism is a beautiful picture of that. It is the means by which our union with Christ 
is affected. <clears throat> then Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, it just needs to be said, you don't have to be a teacher to teach. So what this looks like is reading, studying, reflecting on, and responding to the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. Particularly, the Sermon on the Mount is, is great for teaching someone to follow Jesus. So you sitting with someone and just helping them, reading together, studying, learning together, and then responding to the teachings of Jesus with obedience is discipleship. That's, that's teaching people to obey Jesus. But the most effective tool of your life, the most effective tool for teaching, is your own life, right? This is what I do. Follow me. See what I do. Observe what I do. And then show them. Show people how you live. You know, some of the most powerful discipleship moments happen when you take someone under your wing and you take them into your home and you show them how you interact with your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids or your, uh, you know, uh, your, your friends, whatever. You take someone into your circle of relationships and you model how you communicate, how you forgive people, how you admit your mistakes, how you seek to be above reproach when it comes to sexual purity or financial uh, stewardship. And so our lives, we need to use our lives as a, an effective discipleship tool to teach people how to follow Jesus. Because if you're not living it out yourself, you can't teach others to do it. All right, let's look at... Uh, uh, the idea of obedience. So some people have taken God to be primarily concerned with um, us keeping his rules, uh, like a school officer or something who's like scrupulously eyeing the children and waiting for someone, you know, ensuring that no one steps out of line. Um, but obey can also be interpreted as follow, teach them to follow or adhere to my teachings. In Jesus' teachings, they are not rules so much as they are instructions for a blessed life, for an abundant life, for a life that dwells in communion with God, joyful communion with God. And not only do they have present payoff in shaping our character, they're making us more like God. Jesus' teachings, the teachings of the Bible, they make us more like God, preparing to live for all of eternity, preparing us to live for all of eternity in his glorious presence. You see, this is some people find this controversial, uh, when I say this, but God did not make people for obedience. That, that's not the primary purpose of God making people. Like he just needed a bunch of slaves to follow rules that he could boss around. God made people to love people. His primary end is to love people and have people's love uh, reciprocated to him so that there can be an eternal love relationship where uh, both parties are committed to and rejoicing in the well-being of the other. But obedience is necessary because it's how we align our lives with God so that we can be recipients and vessels of his love. Obedience is how we align our lives with God and his truth so that we can be recipients and vessels of his love. That's why Jesus is always saying, those who love me will keep my commands. If you love me, obey my teachings. Now, Jesus finally makes a promise. He ends this commission with a promise and he says to them, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always. 
This is a promise that God has promised to different people, to Jacob and Moses in the Old Testament, to Abraham. I will be with you. I will be with you. Do not fear. I will be with you. Now, in the so so we we know he's the God who's with us. That's how he identifies himself and reveals himself. He loves to be close to his people. I mean, that's most powerfully demonstrated in the cross, right? Because what separates us from God, the God who wants to be close to us, is our sin, our rebellion against him, our wanting to live apart from him. But Jesus came and died so that that could be healed, so that that gap could be bridged and that we could be drawn back into God's presence. Now, here's an interesting little tidbit. Matthew in chapter 1, we hear that the virgin shall conceive and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew starts and ends his biography of Jesus's life by making it a point to remind his readers that this is the God who is with us. This is the God who loves to be present to us. We, oh God, we thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you make Jesus real to us. Thank you that you bring us into conversation with Jesus daily. So so what Jesus says in the end of his gospel, surely I am with you always. It's a bookend. Matthew is bookending his gospel. So the whole story of Jesus and the gospel is bookended by the promise and the prominence of God's very real with us presence. That is amazing. That is amazing. You cannot make disciples. You cannot be an effective Christian. You cannot be a fruitful follower of Jesus without the presence of God dwelling in you and anointing you with his power, with his love, with his goodness, with his purity. You know, do you, how often do you consider Jesus' presence with you? And I don't mean that you can just say, yeah, I, I believe it. I know he's with me. But I mean like you recognize he's actually in the room with you where you are. He looks at you. He observes you. He sees your emotions, the unique things about how you communicate, the gifts that you have, the fears in your heart. And Jesus is actually there for you to turn to and rely on, talk to, ask for help, and do amazing things. Do you actually believe that, believer? Because Jesus says, I'll always be there. I'll always be there to help. I'll never forsake you. I, I'm, I'm your friend. I'm, I'm faithful to always be with you. You see, we're so conditioned by our, um, our five senses that we sense through our five physical senses. But sometimes we really need to work on cultivating our, 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 our supernatural sense, our spiritual senses to the presence of the Lord. And we have to do that by, by slowing down and being, being still before the Lord enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit, ministering at Jesus' feet and gazing upon him and adoring him and worshiping him and cultivating his presence or what Brother Lawrence, that old famous monk called practicing the presence of God, becoming consciously aware God is with me. He's as close, he's closer than my breath. The Lord is so near. I want to just close and I want to uh, mention and just, and just name that disciple-making, being a disciple-maker, being someone who shares the Gospels, brings people to Jesus, is difficult. It's difficult, and we tend to resist it. And there's a reason for that. There's something in us that resists 
pain. Edward uh, Edwin Friedman, who was an, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi and a, a psychologist, he says this, whether we are considering a toothache, a relational bind, crime, or the economy, or we could say, or disciple making, he says most individuals and most social systems, irrespective of their culture, gender, or ethnic background, will naturally choose or revert to chronic conditions of bearable pain rather than face the temporarily more intense anguish of acute conditions that are the gateway to becoming free. I know that's a mouthful and an earful, but this is what he means. And this is how we can apply it to disciple-making and to the Great Commission. It's our nature to always revert to what's easy and bearable. But when we will temporarily face the more intense anguish of acute conditions or acute pain, those will become the gateway to becoming free. And you can apply this to disciple-making, to having the fear of man broken off of you. But what we need to do instead of constantly taking, choosing not to walk up that driveway, choosing not to go across that, uh, that coffee shop to talk to that person, choosing not to call that person and invite them out to lunch and, and ask them about their story. Once, when we press through the pain or the anxiety of just doing it and feeling awkward and feeling uncomfortable, we will be set free to becoming faithful disciple makers who not only say that we know and love Jesus, but who actually obey his great commission. Jesus did not revert to bearable pain when he had the opportunity to reach us and save us from death, eternal death, spiritual death. Jesus himself went through the temporarily more intense anguish of crucifixion. Hebrews 12 says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Friends, may it be so for us that we press through the, the, the discomfort and the, the, the tension of wanting to live comfortable Christian lives and press through that to take the gospel to the world and see people come into the kingdom and be saved from eternal death. Christian believer, that is not just the job of pastors, apostles, and evangelists. Every Christian is called to obey Jesus, to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them, to obey all that he commanded. Amen.